Hey everyone, welcome to episode 18 of Tennis Tuesday. And gosh, you guys, we have got a lot of news to get to. Blair Henley alongside Nick McCarvel. And Blair, we've been waiting for some of these news pieces to move in tennis. And the way that they have in the last week, it has come fast and furious. So we have a fantastic 18th show to bring all of you guys. That we do, Nick. It's good to see you. We're going to be talking all things Adria Tour, as well as some of the reaction after last week's U.S. Open announcement, in particular how that affected wheelchair tennis players and what we may or may not see once the U.S. Open does start at the end of August. We have a very special guest with us today as well, world number 39 on the men's side, Riley Opelka came to us from his, look like his dining room in Delray <laughs> Beach. He covered a variety of topics and was straightforward and candid as always, what we've come to expect and appreciate from him. We also have a great guest for a Contributor's Corner and a few other bits and pieces that we hope you're gonna love. <laughs> I, I really appreciated you guys. We have a great interview, as Blair said, with Riley. And how good was Riley addressing every topic that we brought up? He, he <laughs> like we said, he doesn't miss a beat and he no. tells you what he's thinking, which as journalists, we really appreciate that. Blair, we always like to transition from the news piece before we get in deep into the topics. Um, talking to each other, how, how are you and how's life in Texas? Oh, thanks for asking, Nick. Um, life is good. I don't have I don't have much to report. <laughs> I don't know if that me. I don't know how boring that means my life is. But I think right now, boring is probably not a, a terrible thing. Uh, there was definitely sort of a lot of there were a lot of texts going back and forth, a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls on the back end of that U.S. Open announcement. Uh, for me, just sort of people in the industry talking, people trying to figure out what is that going to mean for us. So that that took up uh, some time in the past week, but good things, good things are happening and we hope that it's a start and we hope to see more of that, right, Nick? Um, but I know you are not uh, at a loss for things to do. You were <laughs> scooping ice cream. Like I was. I, I opened. Uh, I didn't get to tell you, but I had the grand opening of Uncle Boo Boo's Milkshake Shop just last night. We had a little Father's Day barbecue. And the kids, there's seven nieces and nephews where I am in Montana. And Blair, they were so pumped about milkshakes. Um, I got rave reviews and uh, just sadly none of my customers actually paid me with money. So uh, I minor, appreciate minor detail. You, you bought in though, Nick, you bought in 100%. You were committed to your role. If you're gonna go hard, if you're gonna go, go hard. And especially when you're opening a milkshake shop. So um, yes, that was really fun for me. Um, and it was nice to happy belated Father's Day to a lot of you out there celebrating this past weekend. And if you don't celebrate Father's Day too, um, we hope you had a good weekend as well. We know there's a lot of a lot of things happening in our world right now, and we appreciate that you guys are spending a little bit of your time with us. And Blair, with that, let's go from milkshakes, from Uncle Boo Boo's milkshake shop to the wonderful world of tennis. And this has been a topic, Blair, that we've talked about now for a couple of weeks, but it's really been newsy in the last 48 hours. We're recording this Monday afternoon after a confirmed COVID-19 positive test from Grigor Dimitrov. And then just it, just today, just Monday itself, Borna Chorch also announcing 
that he has COVID-19 as well. Both of them, as we know- Okay, hold up. Wait, 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 right there. <laughs> we are breaking into our own show. We don't even know if that's allowed, but we're doing it. And I'm looking a little more casual today, but we've got breaking news, obviously, off of this Blair. We taped most of the show on Monday, as we usually do. And today we're coming back with the news that Novak Djokovic has confirmed that he's tested positive for COVID-19. So at the beginning of the show, we knew that Dimitrov and Chorich had it. We actually didn't know that Viktor Troitsky also had tested positive. Now Novak Djokovic has revealed that both he, Blair, and his wife, Yelena, have tested positive. So there's a lot to di discuss here. There's a lot to dissect. I think if you're watching Tennis Tuesday, you're already really plugged into Tennis Twitter, right? So you guys have seen a lot of the reaction. One thing I did want to highlight here is the statement that was put out. We're going to put it up on the screen now for you. This comes from the Djokovic camp. And the the frustrating thing, I think, through all of this is it felt like it could have been avoided. And they are saying that they were trying to do this philanthropic event where they were doing things from the heart. And really what they didn't do was lead with science, with social distancing, mask wearing, um, limited crowds, limited in interaction between the players, Blair. And, and that's where the frustration, I think, has come from the global tennis community. I voiced it when I first pointed out that all these players were traveling into this one certain area without the testing protocols being put in place. Um, that statement, obviously, you guys see there on screen. The other one I did want to pull up here, Blair, is Grigor Dimitrov's agent saying that there was a lot of mistakes that were made, not disciplined as much as they should have been, constant contact with people, a stadium full of 4,000 fans, lots of supporters that took pictures with players. So here we are in this situation, and I don't think either of us are trying to add to the pile on to Novak Djokovic, but this is a total unforced error from the Adria Tour not to adhere to social distancing in a moment of a pandemic. We're, we're literally living within a pandemic and there's a lot obviously swirling within tennis Twitter right now, Blair, but obviously curious uh, on your thoughts here too. Oh man, Nick, <laughs> I, <laughs> there, there are a lot of thoughts. I mean, I think the first thing is that in any of these exhibition events, players could test positive. We There is definitely a chance that players could test positive at the US Open with all their restrictions. But like you said, the problem here is that there were no restrictions, like at all, that any of us could see. In fact, it was like the complete opposite. 4,000 people in the stands, kids day, special events, um, nightclub. Soccer. Night, yeah, I mean, nightclub parties, lots of hugging, um, which normally we love to see, <laughs> made all of us a little uneasy in this case. So that's problem number one. And problem number two, the person who's, whose name was behind this, for better or worse, was Novak Djokovic, who's not only the number one player in the world, but the head of the Players' Council and someone that people look to, whether they should or not, that's a whole nother conversation, but someone that, that people look to to set an example. And this certainly did not set any examples. In fact, it set an example for, for what not to do. Um, and, and the unfortunate thing for players, for people like us who work in tennis, is that I feel like there's been a renewed level of maybe fear um, in terms of how 
events that are coming up are going to sort of organize this and do their protocols and make it safe for all the players. Uh, and, and, you know, potentially players are also thinking, I don't know if I want to put myself in that situation. So it really could have been a step back for all of sort of the restart efforts that are going to be happening over the next few months. And listen, I 100% think that there just needs to be a level of respect for for this virus and I don't there was no respect for it. I don't I hope, you know, I don't want people to live in fear, but there has to be the respect and and that is not what we saw in this case. And I did I will say in terms of of things kicking off in Belgrade and Serbia, I talked to someone who knows a lot about their political situation there. They had an election on June 21st and a lot of people sort of hypothesized that the reason Serbia went from total lockdown to total free-for-all was to sort of butter people up there uh, in a sense um and, and that was that was a whole political thing aside from the tennis wow. and so there there were issues again as we said on multiple levels from the very top down and coming from two americans here nick like we know if the government says go for it maybe not always the best idea <laughs> but there were people other than just novak djokovic who were saying yeah things are fine things are things are great. And when all these players arrived and everybody's hugging and there are these events, mm -hmm. yeah, if you were one guy who was like, I don't know, do you want to be the guy who speaks up? You know, of course, like we'd love to think there would be that one who was like, yeah, no, I don't think I'm going to do this. But I do think it would have been much harder in that situation where you have a whole country and a whole government that's behind you all the way. And, and like you said, I don't want, we don't want to be part of the, the pylon here. Although we did hear from, from John Wertheim that from at least one player, he heard that there were maybe talks uh, about sort of discussing Novak Djokovic's position in the Players' Council. I don't want to waste time blaming. I do hope, though, that, like we were saying, this can be sort of an example of what not to do, a learning opportunity, and it can maybe almost, on the silver lining could be that it solidifies the player mentality behind the intense restrictions we hope to totally. see in the tournaments to come. Um, so in some ways, maybe this could actually be a positive because you see what could potentially happen when those things are not in place. So I'm gonna go with the silver lining here. Um, I hope it was a learning experience uh, for all the players that were there, for Novak Djokovic as well. And, and I mean, we'll see how things unfold. But whew, thanks for letting me get that off my chest, Nick. <laughs> No, I mean, you and I have been texting a lot about this and what do we say? And it's all out there. I mean, the Nick Kyrgios stuff, the criticism, um, and I think it's warranted. When a player has the platform like uh, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, Serena, the biggest names in our sports, they carry with them a responsibility to act responsibly. And in this instance, Blair, Novak Djokovic just didn't. No matter if you're a super fan or if you don't like the guy whatsoever, he didn't provide that leadership to make sure that when you're bringing a global community together in pro tennis, that all the safety measures were there. I love the point you make on safety checks for the players and for the tournaments. This is a gut check in a sense. And we're going to hear from Riley Opelka later in this episode where he feels like it's not possible for players to be quote unquote locked away in a hotel for two weeks to play tennis. That might be the reality. It, it really might be the sense that if we want pro tennis, if we want pro sports, these athletes are going to really have to make the sacrifice. We talk about sacrifices that athletes make all the time. Here's a sacrifice made. If you want to be part of a TV product to be seen by millions of people around the world during a pandemic, 
You might have to essentially live in that hotel, live in the bubble, and follow those stringent rules. This isn't the end of this saga. We know that. We obviously wish the players and their camps, I think nine people in total, have tested positive out of the Adria Tour, at least from, and that's just the player sphere, right? What about the organizers, all the behind the scenes people, TV fans? Um, we're going to see more positive test cases come out of that, Blair. But um, yeah, a, a tough day for tennis, but I think a, a hopefully a day that we're going to carry forward as a community to find some sort of betterment when the tour does come back in full. Yeah, and I, I do, I really do have faith that sort of when the initial like shock, like of how could this have happened sort of settles a little bit, I do think it's, it's gonna be a reality check, a gut check, and sort of a, a way to refocus um, and, and have the players come together. And we've talked about this, Nick. Um, I talked to a friend who works in professional golf and they had a player, Nick Watney, test positive. And I, I asked her, I'm like, so what's, what was the reaction on, on golf Twitter? Because they've been restarted now for, for a couple of weeks. And she said, honestly, it wasn't, people really weren't raging um the players the players didn't feel uh like like their safety had been violated in any way and and her sort of hypothesis was the fact that the players were all on board with the protocols that had been put in place everybody was sort of on the same page and, and like i said at the beginning positive tests i i think are probably going to be the reality in some of these bigger events i think we have to just mm. accept the fact that they may happen i think the players probably know that going in but if everybody is on board and thinks the tournaments and the tours are doing a good job of, of laying the groundwork to make it as safe as possible i think that maybe prevents a hopefully the spread and b that that uh that reaction of sort of shock and, and rage and and all the feelings that people yeah. have right now which you can check check twitter if you want to see more of those feelings there are lots <laughs> Okay, Blair, that's all very well said, and um, I'm glad we took the time here to have a little bit of this back and forth. I think it's important for the show, and um, I guess I'm just going to say, Blair and Nick, it's back to you. <laughs> so, Nick, we talked last week about the USTA press conference last Wednesday, and there were a lot of reactions that came out of that, including from the wheelchair tennis players, and Dylan Alcott is, is one of the quad wheelchair players who really spoke up on Twitter. Uh, he wrote, just got announced that the US Open will go ahead without wheelchair tennis. Players weren't consulted. I thought I did enough to qualify, two-time champion, number one in the world, but unfortunately I missed the only thing that mattered, being able to walk. Disgusting discrimination. Andy Lapthorne, uh, another quad wheelchair player, said this. This is yet again another example of terrible leadership in the sport of tennis. I don't get the chance to defend my singles and doubles titles at the US Open because I'm in a wheelchair, complete disgrace. If this isn't changed, I don't know what to say other than discrimination. One of the women's players, uh, Marjoline Baus, said this, no wheelchair tennis at the US Open this year. The US Open is one of the best wheelchair tennis tournaments in the year and without COVID-19, I'd have loved to play, but now I'm relieved that I don't have to fly to New York. I don't feel discriminated. It was a wise decision. So. You had feelings all the way around in terms of, of the wheelchair event, Nick. Um, and I, first thing, it's nice to see players using their voice. This is the good thing about social media. Oh, it's huge. And I'm glad you made that point. And I think you and I were discussing offline before we hit record that we did two US Open reaction shows last week and we didn't speak about this. So 
This is an issue where Dylan Alcott has really used his voice as a gold medalist at the Paralympics, a Grand Slam winner, the world number one, to really use his voice in a way for change and to speak up, which I thought was fantastic. Got the support of Andy Murray, and he also caught the attention of the USTA and the ITF. Blair, I think you've got a statement from, from them that they issued jointly. Yeah, I'm going to paraphrase, paraphrase the beginning, uh, you know, in conjunction with the ITF wheelchair tennis leadership, the USTA, and, and these players got on a call and they had what, what sounds like it was a really productive conversation. On the call, the USTA acknowledged that the association should have communicated directly and worked in a collaborative manner with the wheelchair athletes when developing the plan for the 2020 US Open, as it had done with both the ATP and WTA. The USTA also committed to working with the players and the ITF to explore a number of potential scenarios for the wheelchair competition to determine the best approach moving forward for the athletes and the competition. The USTA expects to gather player feedback on their perspective and work with the ITF to finalize an approach to the 2020 US Open wheelchair competition. So again, I think that this statement sort of underscores something that we've talked a lot about, Nick, and that is uh, it, it always helps to have those discussions with the players before the news is broken. I know, and there were so many things for the USTA addressed that doesn't excuse the fact that they didn't address this one in planning the US Open in 2020, but I'm just, I think it's so cool. You and I have both worked within the wheelchair world. We have been at the US Open. I got to cover them at the Australian Open. Dylan Alcott is a household name, not just a sporting name, a household name in Australia. So, you know, huge props to these players for using their voices and to, for getting the attention of the higher ups. I think just generally across the board, we've seen it from the WTA, the ATP, and now the USTA a little bit. And there's hardworking people in all these positions. How do you streamline? How do you better collect player feedback and information uh, in all of these decisions? I think that's really the next challenge, the next step for tennis. Uh, I will be very interested to see. Uh, hopefully it's good news for the wheelchair competitors. Just one just one big WhatsApp group, right? Just one WhatsApp group called Tennis. Can we be on it as I well? I mean, can, can there be a journalist one as well? Can, can the journalist sneak in? <laughs> um, no, I don't think that's happening uh, anytime soon. But yeah, who who knows? Again, I feel like this, just just the situation that, that all of sport is in at the moment has, has maybe highlighted some of these issues. And hopefully this can maybe accelerate doing better with those in the future. Uh, and Nick, it was interesting to hear your perspective on the wheelchair athletes, because I know you've worked a lot with them, as have I, and I sure hope there are only 20 of them uh, between the men's, women's, and quad. So I hope we get to see them in New York. And with that, Nick, that brings us to uh, our first guest of the day. We had the chance to talk to Riley Opelka, who is currently ranked number 39 in the world. Nick, I was thinking he's probably one of the last tennis players we both saw in person. For me, it was, was after the final of the Delray Beach Open, which he won for you. It was Davis Cup. And, and as always, yeah. as we come to now expect from Riley, he was very candid and open on a variety of different topics. And we are really looking forward to seeing him back on the court. I think he is an American player who can really do some big things in the year to come. So here's Riley. Riley, it is great to see you. Welcome to Tennis Tuesday, where we have a lot to cover with you today, but I'd love to start by just checking in on you. Where are you at the moment, and how have you sort of been balancing your tennis life and real life in a very strange time for all of us? Yeah, so uh, I'm, in, I'm in Delray Beach, Florida. Um, I just kind of got back. Uh, me, Tommy, and 
uh, Taylor Fritz actually went out to L.A. for a little bit to change the scenery and uh, switch things up. And, um, yeah, everything's good. Uh, I've been training been training every day. You know, there's talks of, you know, the U.S. Open's happening, the French Open's happening. So it's a lot easier to have some motivation in this time. And um, starting to see things come back to normal life. So uh, it's, uh, you know, a good feeling. We're relatively fresh off that news that the U.S. Open is happening as well as Cincinnati and D.C. What was your first reaction when you heard that news was official? And, and how do you feel about the safety measures and, and how that's all going to work out leading up to those events? You know, I think it's great. Um, you know, I was stoked that the U.S. Open made their announcement that they're going to make it happen. And same with Cincy. Um, you know, th this is what we need. Look at, I mean, golf seemed to do a good job with it, um, with, with testing and taking all the right um, steps in order to be cautious and protective of, of the players and, and the teams and everyone around. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I think, I think uh, it, it's best for the sport. And, and personally, it's, I think it's everyone has a decision. If they don't want to play, you know, and they're not comfortable, then, you know, I understand that side of it as well. But, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable playing. And, um, and I'm, you know, more than excited to get back into it. Riley, a few weeks ago, you kind of made some headlines with that interview that you did with Racket, talking about how you felt like the ATP wasn't communicating with you guys exactly the way that you wanted. Did you feel like you got a good response from the ATP thereafter that they've handled things better? Or have they not necessarily improved as we've seen the schedule shake out? And there's a lot of moving pieces now. How's the player communication side been for you? Um, that's always going to be until we have our own players union separate from the ATP where we're, there's no conflict of interest. We're on our own, just like it is in the NBA and, and even the NFL and in the PGA. Um, the structure of our sport is, is pretty far off of where it should be. Um, you know, it's one frustrating thing for me. The ATP headquarters is two blocks down from the PGA headquarters and they seem to be doing it pretty right. You know, uh, if you look at, if you look at salary from, from the golf tour and, how all the players are and how, how happy they are and how their scheduling works. It's uh, it makes a lot of sense. So, um, you know, I'm always been a advocate of why not just take a little uh, field trip two doors down in Ponte Vedra and maybe take a learn a thing or two from them. But, you know, I, I wasn't trying to be negative. I wasn't trying to throw any shade at the ATP. I was just being pretty honest. It wasn't, I didn't mean to, um, I didn't mean any harm. Um, that was just how I felt. And, um, that was just my, my opinion on it. And, you know, I'm, I can speak on behalf of a lot of the other guys. They, they didn't know what was going on. Um, so, yeah, uh, there, we still got a long way to go, in my opinion. If I can, Blair, just really fast. So have they have things improved since then, or you feel like it just hasn't changed at all? I mean, I got a phone call about it. Uh, and, you know, I, again, I, I wanted to explain to – people at the ATP because they, they're we're on the same team at the end of the day I, I wasn't I didn't mean any harm you know I was just being honest and uh you know uh I don't think change comes that quick anyway um but I don't again I don't I'm giving them some time you know I think a lot of players are speaking out now and um and I think a lot of players are starting to lose patience with with it you know I mean and I think now is a great time to address those problems and and really get moving on it, and uh, but it, it's going to take time. Shifting gears, uh, you played the UTR Pro Match Series a few weeks ago, a socially distanced event, went ahead and won that. Uh, all eyes have been on another 
event as we've sort of gotten yeah. things ready to get going again, the Adria Tour. Uh, and of course, we've heard in the last 48 hours that a couple of players have tested positive. A couple of their team members have tested positive. Um, definitely fewer measures put in place, uh, to say the least, compared to the event that you played in. What's your reaction to that? How do you think it'll affect things going forward? You know, um, I think, again, you'll, you'll look at it where I really hope Grigor and Borna are fine. You know, I, I, all the best, but to them. And I, I, we'll see how, how they are. I mean, they're, they're young, fit, healthy guys. Um, this is part of, you know how many guys, you know how many times I played last year with a fever um, or sickness? I had some, I mean, Davis Cup, I had hands, foot, and mouth disease. I never even heard of that. And I got it in Spain from visiting, I think, some kids it's common with with younger kids and it's not common for a 21 year old to have that but uh i had a fever at that i i had the flu i had food poisoning my like we're pretty used to traveling beating our bodies up like we do and getting sick i mean it's it's kind of part of the part of the job almost and it happens you know two or three times a year maybe i'm curious to see uh you know i i really hope they're fine i hope they're okay and but I, it's kind of part of the tour i think with our age being where we are um, it's not as much of a risk as it is, you know, for a um, for an older older person. As long as we're completely secluded and we're really away from public and 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 el the elderly, I don't see the as much of the issue. I, at least for me, I'm I'm completely comfortable going there, and I know the risk going there, and I know the risk that I could get it, and I'm completely fine. With it. Do you see the concerns that some people have uh, in terms of maybe the example that that event sent? in terms of, you know, they had a kid's day, they had many group events, there yeah. were 4,000 fans in the stands. I think that, uh, you know, other than the sickness, and we sure hope that Grigor and Borna and their team members feel better quickly, but then there's sort of that other side about the example that that potentially set for events going forward. Do you see that perspective sure. as well? For sure. I mean, the, from what the U.S. Open said, I mean, it's going to be a lot different than that. There's not going to be one fan. There's going to be one team member around. It's there's not going to be any kids day, nor should there be. Uh, and you know, I, I think that I got, like I said, I, I literally I got hands, foot, and mouth disease, which is awful. Uh, in in Madrid last year from a kids day event, like from an interaction like that. Uh, so it it happens. And 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 uh, but yeah, I think given the circumstance here, we shouldn't we shouldn't have a um, any kids day, any sort of interaction with outsiders. Um, you know, I think we also have to have a life where we have to be able to leave the hotel and, you know, we shouldn't be stuck there for two weeks. Like there's been rumors, but, uh, I, I think we can do it a smart, realistic way and have a good event. You and Noah Syndergaard with the hand, foot and mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I remember Bringing that. it back. Love it. All right. Go yeah. ahead, Nick. No, that's all right. Um, Riley, from that event that you played, I think, in West Palm, did you feel like there, I mean, I know that's not the U.S. Open, but did you feel like that gave you some sort of reality check as to, like, how a social distanced event in the age of COVID-19, which, no offense, hand, foot, and mouth isn't COVID-19 and the pandemic that we're facing right now. Do you feel like that gave you no. some sort of real sense of what an event could look like in that way? Yeah, for sure. For a 21-year-old, I'm telling you, hand, foot, and mouth disease worse than covid <laughs> Uh, right. but yeah, uh, I, I think, I think, uh, I think it was interesting. I thought it was, I thought it was well done, especially during that time when COVID was, was really, it was, you know, that was a while ago, that was a few weeks ago. Um, there was a lot more, we didn't know as much about it. So there was, 
there was more fear of it. And uh, so we were extra cautious there. And um, I mean, I, I really, like I said, I really think these events can happen. Um, I think the PGA has proved it. And, um, and I think Novak's also, Novak's event and whatnot has also proved it, but there's, there's restrictions that didn't happen there and, and possibly caused some, some more cases among players. And I think that's an easy fix. Hmm. Uh, Riley, we have to say we were so impressed with you guys going out and voicing, using your voice for the Black Lives Matter protests a couple weeks ago in LA. Why did you feel like you wanted to do that and wanted to not only go and be a part of that protest, but also be outspoken about how you felt and what you did on social media? We thought that was really powerful. Yeah, I mean, um, it was easy. I mean, we're in LA. It's, it's history happening in front of our own eyes. You know, um, a lot of our friends were, we were with, um, in LA that came and stayed with us were, were, uh, excited about it as well. And, and I mean, there was, it was such a, where we were in LA and, and based on, you know, the situation, it was like, it was a no brainer for us. You know, it was a cool experience for me. We went twice, we went two days, um, stayed for a few hours. And, um, like I said, it, it was history, history happening right in front of our eyes. When are we, you know what I mean? What a crazy time and uh, a great, positive experience you know we we heard all the negatives and everyone on the news heard all the negatives about the protest but it was a pretty peaceful interesting uh event that you know i won't forget riley anything specific that you learned uh from being an athlete someone in the public eye through those few weeks and we hope the movement continues but anything that you personally learned any takeaways um yeah i mean a, a bunch it's uh you look at just the, you know, me personally, just from that incident alone, you don't realize how, you know, when you have, I don't hang around with any people that I can say have, have ever really been racist in any way. And, and when you're in a world where that is, you don't realize that how common it is and how much it's still out there and how big of a problem it still is. So like, just from my standpoint alone, you know, like, it's easy for me to say a couple months ago, yeah, everything, I, you know, I think that our generation's doing a great job. Things are getting better, which I think they are. But at the same time, uh, you know, I'm in a world where I don't, you know, I don't see, I don't hang out with, with those people like that. So it just shows, I think it was pretty eye-opening that, that uh, it's pretty out there, you know, and it's um, a really crazy, crazy time. And, and what happened in that, in the last couple incidents and, everything has been pretty, pretty remarkable in a, in a negative way, pretty shocking that something like that's even going on in this day and age. And I, and I think it's just important that um, for someone like me to know that it, it's still out there and it's still a, a daily issue for a lot of my friends um, is, is pretty crazy. So I think it was just eye-opening in that case, you know. On a much, much uh, lighter note, Riley, your style choices during quarantine have been uh, solid. Uh, and that this, I'm just basing that on what I've seen on Instagram. And based on the comments, I feel like your fellow players feel the same way. I actually wore my fila in honor of you today. I like it. How, how would you describe the, uh, the style aesthetic of Riley Opelka? Um, it's different. I like, I, I switch my vibe up a lot, but... Uh... You know, it's out there. Like people that people that don't, you know, I, I get I get hate on it. You know, some people don't don't understand it, and, uh, and that's cool. But uh, yeah, no, I've been I've been switching it up a lot. I've been having a lot more time at at home, so I've been spending a little more time online shopping uh, 
and uh and Miami everything's open but yeah I've been I've been getting some some new fits in and almost every week it seems like and that's been keeping me a little bit more sane love it I'm thinking the art behind you too Riley yeah yeah no that was that's a cool one uh it's an artist I really like Adam Rabinowitz um but yeah I've also I went to some I went to an art studio um, again last week in LA. Um, I'm, I was kind of looking forward to going. There's one in Antwerp that I've been like dying to go to. Uh, I was actually going to play Antwerp this year just because of that. I was going to change my schedule and switch it up and not go to Stockholm and go to Antwerp just so I could go to the gallery. But uh, I think I'm going to have to wait till next year. <laughs> um, well, Riley, we've hit you with a few hot topics. So we appreciate you speaking on each of those and, and being so candid. I think that's something that we in the media are always trying to ask the players to be and do. And so we appreciate you being candid the way you have been with us. I think lastly, from Blair and I is you are someone that has worked so hard to get to where you are in on tour as far as rankings go and the success you've had. Do you feel like this time away is something that could help you in the long run or, or where do you want to see yourself go competitively here in this next six months or a year? Yeah, I mean, physically, I'm the strongest I've ever been. We, that has been the main goal is to leave quarantine, leave COVID uh, stronger, healthier and, and fitter. So um that's something that's interesting. And, and, and then also not deviating too far away from my game. I think a lot of guys are going to have, I think we'll see a lot of guys who are like, Oh, I have six months, you know, it's going to be a new me when I come back. And I think a lot of guys might get away from their identity of who they are as a tennis player. And I think that's something that I focus really hard on not doing, um, improving my strengths, but not going away from, um, from what, you know, what I do. And I think that that could have been a, a mistake. Maybe my first intention, my first mindset was, All right, I want to work on this, this and this, and I want to come back doing this. But, um, you know, I really think that that can actually be a little bit harmful in some way. So sticking to my brand of tennis, getting stronger, getting fitter is, uh, has been my goal. All right, Riley, from COVID-19 to Black Lives Matter to your style and fashion. Thanks for chatting with us on time. Yeah, of course. Thank you. All right, great to hear from Riley Opelka there. We hope to see him back on court soon, of course. Now, we're turning to our Contributors Corner this week, and we asked Charlotte Gabas in France to give us a little bit of an update from a European perspective. Last week, we heard from Drum Jenny Drummond at the UTS in Nice, but Charlotte is a reporter for Be In in France, and she also has worked for the FFT at Roland Garros. We wanted her to tell us what the European players are thinking, especially among the French players, and she also gives us some of the insight as to how FFT is moving forward with Roland Garros. And of course, all of those different news pieces with the US Open. Here is Charlotte Gabas. Hello, Blair and Nick. Thanks for having me on Tennis Tuesday. I'm really delighted to give you the latest news from Paris, France, where I am based. I can't show you the Eiffel Tower, but look, I can show you the front page of L'Equipe. This is our main sports newspaper and uh, it is raising concern today about the Adria cluster tour and actually it's getting pretty big here in France because as you know in a few months we're gonna organize uh, the French Open by the end of September and um, it reminds everybody actually that the battle is not over. In France we've been locked down uh, during two months and now the life is slightly back to normal we can go back to work 
wearing masks and uh, using social distanciation, of course. Uh, we can go back to restaurants, we can go back to cinemas, we can go back to play uh, tennis indoors. Uh, but we almost forgot that uh, there, there was a virus actually a few months ago. Uh, there was kind of amnesia in the air. So that kind of event reminds everybody that we need to be cautious and especially the French Federation to prepare uh, the French Open in the best way. And they want to return to action uh, responsibly and with caution step by step the priority will really be uh, to keep the players safe and also the fans because that's a fact there will be fans uh, at the end of September for the French Open. We don't know yet the number, it will be a uh, percentage uh, which will be defined by the French government uh, by a mutual agreement. And so uh, they need to keep the players and the fans say that's the really uh, priority number one here for the French Open. Noah Rubin asked about the accommodation in Paris. We know that the US Open picked uh, an hotel next to the airport in France. Uh, this is the topic the French Federation is really working on at the moment uh, because there are many, many uh, possibilities. And uh, as I can tell you, cancelling was really not an option for the French Federation. They really want to keep Roland Garros alive uh, because Roland Garros is the driving force of tennis actually uh, in the country. It feeds everybody, it feeds the players, it feeds the coach, it feeds the club. It's uh, a total of uh, 260 million of euros, 80% uh, of um, the turnover of the French Federation. So they really wanted to protect the ecosystem and they really wanted to show the new roof, to show, to display the new roof, the new roof that was expected for a really long time now. So they were really proud uh, to display uh, these new facilities. And so they didn't regret at all to have postponed and to have made this decision in March to postpone the, the French Open in September. Um, so the, the French Federation is really moving forward, is really working hard on all these topics and they are also organizing a tournament this summer. There will be a little swing for French players, especially it's called Challenge FFT Elite. It's uh, organized by Thierry Asion, the coach of um, Joe Wilfried Tsonga, and uh, it will be especially to help the French players to return to action and to prepare for the US swing and also uh, for the French Open. There will be 24 players and also qualifies for uh, 12 players. So the, the general feeling actually for the players here in France and also in Europe that they want to play but they want to play uh, in good conditions, in safe conditions. And that's what said um, Richard Gasquet, who is involved in the UTS uh, with uh, Patrick Moratoglou. And uh, he said, uh, I want to play, I want to be sure I will be in uh, the good conditions uh, in the US. And uh, he was also pointing out the crazy schedule uh, with all the tournaments planned at the end of the summer. And uh, he was sure he will have to make some choice, uh, maybe choice between hard courts and clay and not playing all the, the clay court swing. And so they are, uh, the, the general feeling of players here, uh, they are really split uh, between the desire uh, to play, but they want to be sure uh, they, they will be safe and they really don't want to, to, to get the, the virus. Uh, I think they really want to, to be cautious on, on, on the conditions and the Adria Tour uh, unfortunately proves that they really need to be so. 
um, concerning um, the US Open uh, news, uh, what uh, we heard in the recent days that um, concerns especially players ranked about, uh, above top 200, like uh, Elliot Benchetrit or Quentin Alice. They were really disappointed about um, the non-qualies, actually, and um, they were really uh, frustrated, actually, because they are uh, playing every day, they are training every day really hard, and uh, that kind of qualies, that amount of money was something they were really uh, waiting for at the end um, at the end of the year. This been a really crazy period. It, it still is for, for US, uh, as I guess. And um, it's been really tough. It's been complicated to, to endure for all the players. And uh, they really have to have a goal, actually. And for uh, players like Ben Chetrit or Quentin Alice, they were really angry about the decision of not having the, the chance to, to play on the higher stage. This is, uh, this is my summary about the, the feeling here in France. I, I hope you, you're feeling good in the US, guys, and, and see you very, very soon. Bye-bye. Huge thanks to Charlotte there, uh, which brings us to my weekly plug of Hall of Fame Live. <laughs> we've, uh, we've been so fortunate to have such incredible Hall of Famers joining us on a weekly basis. Uh, for Hall of Fame Live for the International Tennis Hall of Fame. And my guest this past week was none other than six-time major champion, uh, Olympic gold medalist, the list goes on, Lindsay Davenport, who is just so delightful. She came in and she, you know, she comes into our little, we, we use something called Switcher Studio for that. She comes into the little room and she's like, you know, deep breaths, sort of out of breath. She's like, I just got back from, from picking my kids up or from dropping my kids off. I'm, I'm in my husband's room, the door's shut. I hope they don't interrupt us. Like just the most real, like this, this is just her real life. She's got four kids at home uh, during, you know, California is still as pretty much locked down, uh, but we had a really wide ranging discussion. Here is, is one of my favorite parts of that where we got a little assist from a, uh, an American player you may know. Speaking of coaching and of Madison, we actually have our first fan question of the day. Uh, and it is, what is your favorite Madison Keys story? And this comes courtesy <laughs> of Madison Keys from Orlando, Florida. Maddie was very <laughs> excited to get in on the Lindsay Q&A today. Oh my gosh, she's so bad. Um, honestly, I was, I, there's so many funny ones. Um, she is another person where I've always said I've been blessed that she's in my life. Um, I adore her. Um, we've had so many funny times. So I, I always go back there for like Australia in 2015. Um, we had started working together in October of 2014 and didn't have any expectations for Australia. And honestly, her her whole life changed there. Um, getting to the semifinals and being able to see that kind of happen. There were so many funny things that happened that tournament. I mean, she played one tournament and I got pooped on by a, I played one match, I got pooped on by a bird and her agent and I could not stop laughing. And I think it was when she was playing Kvitova and it's like five all in the second and we're crying laughing. <laughs> just couldn't even, and you know, just honestly, there's been so many and we still have them this year in Australia. Um, gosh, there's a lot of giggles. Um, <laughs> warm-ups she's she's amazing she makes me smile quite a bit we've always had such a great time on court um i was actually telling her like two days ago i go i think you need me in orlando in july and she was like 
okay, why? And I go, I'm ready for a break. <laughs> Our kids, I go, I need to come to Orlando. She's like, yeah, cool. But um, a win -win. You know, amazing. Yeah, exactly. I was like, uh, I think I need to come see you. <laughs> it's the opposite these days. All right, Blair, great to hear from Lindsay there. She's just the best. I love that assist from Maddie there. And that whole series has been really well done. Props to you and the Hall of Fame for, for pulling that off. Um, okay, this one, you guys, we, we think you're going to enjoy this. Um, we were asked by our friends at uh, NCR, No Challenges Remaining, Ben Rothenberg and Courtney Nguyen. Um, we played a game called Code Names on Zoom last week. And Blair, this was really fun. It was tennis themed. If you've never played Codenames, it's a really fun guessing game where one player knows the cards at hand, the other player doesn't. And you have to pick themes to try to connect the cards and get your cards before the other team does. And Blair, we had some slips and slides here and there, but overall, um, I was obsessed. I just thought it was fun and funny. And I was obsessed that you pulled out this magnifying glass here too. <laughs> Um, I, I have no shortage of props, Nick McCarvel, and I appreciate any opportunity for me to use said props, and, and that was a great opportunity. Sh shout out to Ben, who made like 300 different topics for to make an actual tennis oh, version of Codenames. I, Nick, as you know, was like, what is Codenames? I have never played this before. I generally get really competitive, and games are not fun for me. <laughs> Just because I can't get over the fact that I just like want to win and want to perform and but I will say I got over that and this even though sadly and spoiler alert Tennis Tuesday did not emerge the winner. I really had so much fun doing this and it was fun to see tennis faces uh, in Ben and Courtney. It was also fun just to talk about tennis because as I've said to you. The people in my normal everyday life, like we're we're not talking about uh, whether Yulia Gurgis wears Asics clothing. I mean, so <laughs> it was really nice to sort of have have kind of that that hour hour and a half where you were just with tennis people and it's yeah. like oh we get each other. It was no, nice. totally, we had the best time. Ben had asked me to do this a few weeks ago. We coordinated it. I believe it's going to be on the NCR Patreon. So if you give to them on Patreon, it'll be there. We're gonna to try to steal away a couple clips um, so you guys can see some of that. But um, good times had with our friends from NCR playing a little code names. And that brings us to some sad news. We're shedding at least one single tier, probably more than one tier, that this month is going to mark the end of Tennis Tuesday. Um, feels kind of strange to say that out loud into a video um, recorder into a camera, I think they're called. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've had an opportunity to do some full-time work. I'm going to be sharing more details about that Blair in the next couple of weeks, but um, that has meant that we are wrapping up here on Tennis Tuesday. We have a cool um, best of video that our friend Drew Carlisle is putting together for us. Um, even though it's been four short months, Blair, we feel like we've lived a tennis lifetime um, on Tennis Tuesday. We've had some great guests and some good times. And this was something that you and I were talking about doing for a couple of years. And so to finally get it activated, this wasn't a quarantine project. We launched in February just to set the record straight. And um, yeah, I mean, it's been hard work, right? Weekly, we've been promoting it on social. I've been editing it. You've been getting guests. And a lot of times, including with Riley, you write out all of our questions and I'm like, Oh yeah, those look great. <laughs> but that's where we've been such a good team. Um, so next week we will have at least one piece of content, probably two or three. Maybe we should do a live um, to finish things off. But um, 
Blair, it's been a, a pretty good wild ride on Tennis Tuesday. I just want to say thank you for sort of kicking my butt out the door on this because I that's what I needed. I needed somebody to be like, let's just do it. Uh, and that's what you did and zero regrets here. I'm so thankful for having you as my teammate. Um, you did, to be fair, you did most of the heavy lifting on this. I did what I could um, having two kids at home, but it definitely was a lot of work. But I, I feel proud of the fact that we've been able to, to make it happen and I, I hope add something to the greater tennis conversation. So so thank you so much for, for your role in that and for how much you've helped me and all the editing that you've learned from scratch. It's just, it's it's been a monumental task. I don't think at the beginning of this, we could have guessed that our shows would now look like they do. Is that safe to say? Nick? Yes, yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, this is a, we've done this a lot, virtual high five because we we have and you've been the best par partner I could imagine and I knew that going in I, you know you and I work together enough and we've done shows official shows with each other in the past so um, you've been fantastic I, I honestly don't know how you do it with two kids um, and all the writing and reporting and the work that you've been doing for the Hall of Fame so um, we're gonna go out with a bang you guys we promise we've got more content next week and um, yeah, then it'll be au revoir to Tennis Tuesday. All right, well, thanks, Nick. <laughs> uh, I am very excited for you and very excited for you to get to share uh, some thanks. personal news with, yeah, with everyone else. I'm excited for, <laughs> for that moment for you because it has come as the result of a whole lot of hard work. Uh, and with that, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, for another edition of Tennis Tuesday. As you all probably know by now, you can check us out on Facebook, uh, we're on Instagram at It's Tennis Tuesday, we're on YouTube as well, and we're, we also have, thanks to Nick, a podcast version uh, that you can check out as well via Anchor. So Nick, great to see your smiling face, great to sort of virtually see you guys, and, and we'll see you for one more week. Bye guys. <laughs>